All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 141 for Crow 777 Radio. Today, Jason Lingren is with me and a gentleman who will be using a pseudonym named Giancarlo. We're going to be talking at length about Italy. After all, how many times have we said all roads lead to Rome? They do. In one way, shape, or form, most roads do lead to Rome. But we're going to talk about Italy, and we're going to bring up quite a few things that I'm guessing the average American or person from the UK never understood to be correct about Italy. And in hour two, where we can begin to speak freely about anything we want, we're going to talk about set worship, or maybe what some people might equate with Saturn worship, though the guest will directly call it set worship, and relate to us his eyes wide shut experience. I kid you not. So there it is. Let's jump in with Giancarlo, that is a pseudonym, and Jason Lingren, and talk about the underbelly of Italy. There it is. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 141. I have Jason Lingren with me and a gentleman who will go under the pseudonym of Giancarlo. Um, The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, It's going to be an interesting show. As we often say, all roads lead to Rome or Italy in general. Um, This is no exception. Uh, This individual was being sucked into the higher insider circles in Italy. Uh, or things like set worship or supposed set worship go on, even to have given his blood at one point so they could prove his RH factor would allow him in. Uh, He did walk away and actually left the country altogether in the end. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Well, a great good morning to you. How goes it, man? Do we have anything here for the intro? Actually, we do. Um, The film production is underway, and you're going to be setting up a GoFundMe page to offset your costs for all the travel equipment and everything else to do with shoot the moon. Uh, the funding for this will be totally independent and separate from Crow Triple Seven, the podcast. This will be wholly run by you as the producer, and uh, we'll have more information on that. Anything to add, Jason? Yes, it is set up. I just did it last night. I wrote as detailed of a message as I could on the GoFundMe page. And the general idea comes down to this if 2,000 people would donate, once, we're everywhere we need to be. And that's going to pay to get us where we want to get this film without having to get in bed with goblins, to put it bluntly. Right, uh, which is not going to happen. And by the way, we are trying to get this little privately made film out into some more mainstream places. We're not sure if it's possible, um, but that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to get these things on the record and all that. Anyhow, let's move on, Jason. Uh, Anything else before we jump in with Giancarlo? No, let's make this happen. All right. You know where you want to start, Jason? Yeah. Well, John, great to have you here. And this is an incredibly interesting story. And again, another unique guest that I don't think anyone touches on this stuff the way we do. It's quite unique. And your perspective is going to be unique because you were there. So why don't we start off with a little bit of background on you, John, which, as we said, is a pseudonym. We're protecting the innocent here. So go ahead. Let's hear a little bit about you. Buongiorno. Good morning. Uh, my name is, uh, I call myself Giancarlo. I was, uh, I was born in Naples, Italy, and I moved to America when I was very small with my mother's family. We lived here for about 15 years before we, we moved back to Italy. And um, we always thought it was very strange that, you know, the Italian-Americans here were very Italian-centric and very proud to be Italian and Italian flags everywhere for them. And, you know, we never had that. And I always asked my my family, well, why is this? Why don't we have these Italian flags? Why aren't we so proud to be Italian? 
And they just said to me, because you're not Italian, you're Neapolitan. And you know, Italy is just, you know, where we live, it's just the Camorra, which is the organized crime and an invading state. And they left it at that. And um, I went to high school in the States and uh, went back to Italy for university and studied in Milan and Siena and started working for a multinational company. And then I started my own consulting business, which led me into led me towards the path of what we're going to talk about today. So during the course of all this, basically, you were moving back and forth between the countries. Yes. Uh, you, you speak fluent, I guess I'll call it Italian. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> moniker for it, but you had set yourself up in business um, as a consultant. Um, so how did you become involved uh, with the kind of elite power circles? Okay, um, just in, to make a long story short, my father was, he's an Italian-American, he was born here, and all of my mother's family was in Italy, so we we're always, always back and forth, and I grew up basically in both cultures, and, you know, the Italian culture was basically what was on television and in the newspapers, because the real culture that I grew up in was a Neapolitan culture, and I started to get involved in, I've always been in business, my, my grandparents were always in business for themselves, my parents were in business for themselves, and when I when I graduated from 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 university in Italy, I decided, you know, I took a job at a large multinational company. And as I said, in this company, and I don't know how it goes in the States, but in, in Italy, if you get a national contract with a company, you are obliged to take a, a physical, which includes a blood test. And I worked for this company for about two to three years when I decided, hey, I can make more money, you know, working out on my own. And I started a consulting company in Milan that grew fairly large. And one day I got a phone call from a German company and they said, hey, we hear that you're the best in, in Milan that offers this type of consultation and we have a big client we'd like to send you to. Okay. And they said, it's in Milano Due. All right. Okay. Let, let me see if I could do this. I went, I met with the people in the human resources and, you know, we set up a schedule and, and there I was. And I started to work in this very large uh, media conglomerate. And um, the one thing I noticed right off the bat is I had consulted a lot of media companies before and um, there are TVs everywhere. There usually are TVs in the waiting rooms. And when you go inside of the offices, there's TVs everywhere. And the one thing I noticed about this company is you're waiting in the waiting room and they've got the obligatory TVs on the walls. But when you go inside the offices, there's not a television allowed. And after about, you know, I, I really became very friendly and I was consulting all of the people who were at the top of this company. And I became very friendly with a very good man who we remained friends. He left the company. He found a religious path. And and I asked him after about, I would say, eight to nine months, you know, you walk on your tippy toes for a little bit. Then I finally asked him, I said to him, I said, why, why are there no TVs in here for such a, you know, a large media company? And he got all silent and looked at me and rigid and he said don't let your children watch any of this and that's all he said and then we and then from that point until i moved further up the ranks we never spoke about any about that ever again but it, it did strike me as very odd well let, let, let me jump in here on a couple points um i guess we're talking about the tv set hint, yes and yes, we'll yes. get into that in a minute um even the name of the channels have the set idea uh, in Italy. Do. Apparently, yes, we'll get do. into that. But when you took the blood test, um, what's that about? Is this about the old RH factor that Jason and I have covered, where they check in to see if you were RH negative? Is that what it was about? There is no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt in my mind. Because after about two, 
two years of consulting for a third party who actually held the contract, you know, you make inroads. I guess I speak very well. I dress well. I'm very well educated. And finally, after about two years, uh, one of the higher ups that I was consulting said, listen, um, why don't you go talk with, um, with human resources, if you have 20 minutes after the after our, our sessions today, and they'd like to tell you something. Okay. And I went down to the human resource office and they said, Giancarlo, we're going to offer you the contract. And I said, well, I didn't, okay, okay, I didn't sign a non-competition clause. All right, that's great. And like, we'll deal with the other company. Contracts are all here, ready to go. All that you have to do is take a, you know, physical blood test, all that stuff. And I thought maybe the back of my mind, hey, this is kind of strange because I'm not an actual, you know, employee of the company. I'm an external consultant. But, you know, I was young and I'm consulting this really large company and I've got these big contracts and a family to support. And I said, fantastic. Where do I sign? Signed the contracts, went for the physical, pardon me, went for the physical, um, did the blood test and we were on our way. So basically, um, you, I mean, you're pretty sure about this. It's the RH negative passport to be into these upper, upper circles. And to be completely clear about this, um, this is the equivalent of what in this country we might call a government contract. Yes. But everybody, every, even the, because labor is very organized in Italy and you, you, you negotiate for a, a standard you know, national contract, which is all regulated by the state. So when you go take a full-time employee and you're employed full-time by a company, you have to take a blood test. It's not true when, and I looked into this afterwards, when you are a consultant, it, there's, you don't have to take a blood test. They just, they just told me that because they wanted, I guess, to make sure, but I'm pretty sure they have access to the same databases as the government. But I, I don't know. They made me take the blood test. And from there, there, my career was starting to go up, up, and up. So there's no doubt about it. I'm a very rare blood type. My mother's a very rare blood type. We come from a noble family in the south of Italy. So there was no doubt in my mind moving forward that my lineage, and I didn't know this was this was years ago. I didn't know anything about, you know, what we we have been talking about on your show. And but I knew it had something to had probably had something to do from from where I come. So basically, when you're in there, this is a media company, and you're noticing that there's no televisions inside the media. None, none, none at all. Yeah, and and one of the guys tells you, "Don't let your family be exposed to this." But let's let's. It's an interesting <laughs> story for people. Yeah, don't let don't let your kids near this thing, this TV <laughs> set. Um, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's give people here um, in the States and England and, and Canada, most of the people who come to the show, um, an idea of the television set layout uh, in that part of the world. Can you give us a breakdown of how the channels came to be and Certainly. dig into that? Because as a consultant with a media thing, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here is going to be dealing with what goes out on a television, right? Okay, so... Italy, just like England, has a has has state-run television channels, which you pay for. By the way, they send you a bill every year for like a hundred. Last time I, I lived there was like hundred and fifty dollars, and if you don't pay it, it becomes two thousand, four thousand. So anybody who buys a TV set in Italy is registered, and the tax police send you a bill afterwards. <laughs> anyway, is, that, so, is it is it like cable TV or is it? No, 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 no. It's over the air. You don't pay for that. There's no cable TV. You can get Murdoch's um, Sky, his satellite company, but no, it's all free to free to air. And but you have to pay for the three. Now there are three. The three state channels, which when I was a child didn't have any advertising on them. It was there was the Rai One, which is Radio Audizione Italiana One. Ra, 
1, Radio Audizione Italiana 2, Rai 1 and Rai 2. Now, Rai 1 was, was given and run by the Christian Democrats, so it was their propaganda channel. And Rai 2 was the channel of the marginal socialist party, because don't forget, Italy had the largest membership in the Communist Party outside of the Iron Curtain. And you can still go there. And when I had my American friends come over and, and visit me, and it was election time and the manifests were up, there were sickle and hammers everywhere. And like, oh my God, what is this? I'm like, oh yeah, they're communists here. It's, 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 it's a thing. And um, they, there was, oh, there was, you can look into Italian history and there was a great compromise in the 60s between Bell and Guerre because they actually won an election and it's, it's a whole, it's a whole story. But the point of this is they actually threw them a bone in the mid 70s and created a third state channel and that was controlled by, and that was the communist media outlet. So you had the Christian Democrats on one, socialists on two, and communists on three and there were no private television channels it was all state propaganda until the mid 80s when a man named Silvio Berlusconi from Milan started up his uh, media set empire and started with channel five so they skipped right over four and went directly with five so in in the name of the channel it is the word set Mm -hmm. It's media, like information, right? Media set. So it's literally sets information source. And there, there's a logo associated with uh, Channel 5 for whatever reason they skipped four, which is interesting. <laughs> but but there's, there's a logo that has a very common occurrence. As a matter of fact, from what I'm understanding, the logo we're about to talk about is ubiquitous all over the place. As a matter of fact, you can find it in the Alfa Romeo car logo. Um, but what is in that logo for, uh, logo for Channel 5? Oh, it's, it started off as a, a, a viper eating a boy, a crowned viper eating a boy. Very strange for a TV logo, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so people, people can go look. Um, I'll, I'll have you give the Italian word for viper that they can look up to, to see this thing. But if you just look up the Alfa Romeo logo, you have a cross, of course, on one side. On the right side is the little thing we're talking about. What is the Italian word for the... Uh, the logo? It's called Bishone. B-I-S-C-I-O-N-E. It means viper. It's also the symbol of the city of Milan. Milan's flag is akin to the St. George's Cross in England, but in the upper left-hand corner, there's the same viper eating a boy, a crown viper, excuse me, eating a boy. And Milan has always been and is still to this day just the land of commerce. It flows in and it flows out. That's all it's ever been. It's been the capital of commerce. It's right after the Alps. If you're coming from the north and it's right after the Apennine Mountains, if you're coming from uh, both the south and from the west, and it's in this great plain and it's always been the land of commerce. So the mainstream claim, and we're not going to decode the logo, people can do that on their own, but the mainstream claim is that one of the versions, sometimes it looks like a kid that's being eaten, but one of the claims is that it's a uh, a moor, which would actually be a Saracen. A Saracen, yes. Yeah, and the connection to that supposedly is during the second invasion to take back Jerusalem, uh, there was a duel of some kind, and so basically they stole the Saracen's logo from his family. There's all that to consider. But of course, anytime we see the serpent, there's always going to be the idea of chakra energy centers and a lot of things going on there, although the same logo shows up in the soccer team and it's got mm -hmm. star stars all over the serpent. But I want to get back to the, 
So what did you make of a guy telling you, don't let your children watch TV? Um, do you have any insight to what that specifically might be about? Yes, I do. Um, he was the only person with a conscience. He was a good human being. And he, he subsequently left the company I consulted for and found his own path. But he he was one of these people who just couldn't stand it anymore. And after I'd worked there and, you know, for a long time, he started to reveal things to me, but it was as if he wanted to tell you, but couldn't tell you. Does that make sense of what I'm what I'm saying? You know, he was sure, but I mean, from from your point of view, from I, my I mean, point I, of view, I guess is, I could ask: Did your family watch TV after that? And and no, I know mean, specifically. Never. Why do you think someone would tell you that? What do you think's behind it? Uh, what I think is behind it are it's very simple color, vibration, alchemical spells, whatever they may be to hypnotize people, especially children who are very vulnerable to these things. Um, and it was I mean, it was it's not it's not a it's, how can we say it's not by chance that these things happen. And it's not by chance it's called, you know, the, the sets in the name. It's 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 and we can go into this further about the, sim, the symbology and the symbolism in in the programs and the rest of the channels. But he was like a friendly warning. Hey, listen, this is this is some bad stuff going on here. So don't let your children who are defenseless watch this. You know, it's kind of interesting how literal um, the Italian version where they even put set right into the channel. Right name, in the name. But it's not like we weren't told here in the States. I mean, all through my childhood, it was called a television set. But you want to jump in here, Jason, at all? I think it's very interesting that the flag of Milan, where all these things are going on, is the Red Cross. Right. <laughs> And we've already discussed the Red Cross on previous episodes, but I think this should really already be coming together as a very clear picture for everyone, just what is going on in Milan. Jason, look at the Alfa Romeo logo. You have the Red Cross on the left, you have the Viper eating the child on the right, and what's the background that the Viper is on? What color is it? It's Savoy Blue. Which is not far off the Israeli blue. I did a breakdown of it in an editor so I could see the color values. What's interesting about the Israeli blue is there's no red in it, believe it or not. Uh, if you break it down in RGB or even in hexadecimal, the proper color. But Savoy blue is very close to that, I would add. And Savoy blue is everywhere in Italy. And I find it's very strange that in 1948, after all the shenanigans in World War II and Italians were, they were done with the royal family and we voted to become a republic and we exiled the kings of Savoy to France and they were never allowed back. That was the line. But if you go look in everything, if you look at the color of the national football team, Yazzurri, it's Savoy Blue. All of the inter-city, like inter-regional buses for a very long time, I don't know, it's been about four years since I've been there, uh, they're all Savoy Blue. All of the street signs that aren't pieces of marble attached to the sides of buildings that are in smaller towns, they're all, they're all outlined in Savoy Blue. So even if these people were supposed to be exiled in 1948 and Silver Berlusconi let them back in. I use that, you know, air quotes in 2005 or 2006, but they never left. They've always been there. So I, I'm going to ask you kind of an off topic question here, but, um, you know, most people in the United States, they think about the mob, you know, we've had all these movies about the mafia and the mob, and it's always come from Sicily or Italy. What's your perception of that? Is there a separate, is there a literal separation between what we would consider a government and then organized crime? Is it all the same? It's, how do people, how do people who live there view that? It's one and the same. 
People who live there view it as that the organized crime syndicates are the footmen for the state. It's one and the same. Now, you have three big organized crime syndicates. The Mafia, which is the one that you see here in the movies, that's a Sicilian organization. Okay. Then you have the Undrangheta, which is in Calabria. That's the, the toe of Italy. Okay. And you have the Camorra, which is uh, the organized crime in Naples. Now, the mafia has kind of fallen fallen out of favor because of two reasons. Number one, it's uh, pyramidal, so it has a head at the top and then different minions underneath. And it's very, uh, it has a code of ethics, let's say. You know, you don't kill women and children, you only do things in a certain way. And, you know, and they found that once you take out um, or once the, there's rivalry and, and, and a head goes down, then the whole power structure falls underneath. So that's kind of fallen out by the wayside. The two with the lateral parallel power structures, with like, like local little clans that kind of interconnect with each other, are the Camorra out of Naples and the Indrangheta out of Calabria. Now, the Italian state has picked the Indrangheta. They are the most ruthless uh, of them, of all of them, to be the international face of the Italian state. They're the ones that are in New York and, and, and they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And I think the reason being is, once again, they're, they're capillary. They're, they don't have the, the, the guy at the top. They're, they're, they're parallel and they're ruthless. And there's not a lot going on in Calabria. You know, if you're in the Camorra in Naples, people, you know, who are from there really love it and they have found a way to, you know, make lots of money and stay there. They're they're not really expanding, you know, but the people in Calabria, they really have no other option. And it's it, that has become the real face of organized crime is the Indrangheta. And this all, I mean, you could look at this and what happened is in 1860, when the city of London financed the Savoy house, which they controlled Sardinia and like Turin and like Liguria, the, the Western side of the Northern part of Italy, they were financed by the city of London to uh, eliminate the kingdom of the two Sicilies, which, which was Naples. And after, you know, that happened and that, that battle went on for 20 years and there were freedom fighters and in the vacuum that was left, the Camorra, the Indrangheta and the mafia stepped in to fill that vacuum. But they were they're, they, they're just intermediaries between the invading state and the people. So the people in the south, you know, they pay their little pizza, they pay the, the Don, they pay the whoever controls the neighborhood, a little bit of money. And that guy keeps like the, the IRS at bay and he keeps the, you know, you don't have to get a license for like putting an awning out in front of it. There's all these laws in it, like there are in France. So they, they just pay these local mafia, they call them organized crime bosses. So they, to, to, to limit their interaction with the state, because the state's non-existent because you, the state could come down with their army and eliminate organized crime in two days, but they don't because it's, it's one in the same. And everybody knows this, especially in the South, and it's also becoming more prevalent in the north. And Drangheta has a big, big syndicate in Milan now. And they have a big syndicate in, in the Veneto. Anywhere there's there's commerce and production, you're going to find them. Well, here, here's the thing. So, you know, you're, you're pointing out it's one and the same. And most people in this country think, oh, the mob's something different. But uh, it's really not if you logically break it down. Uh, even in the movie The Godfather, um, even though that's a fiction portrayal um it's one of the main mob movies that started 
the, the consciousness of, of the existence of a mafia in this country. Um, it shows the, the godfather of this family, Marlon Brando, has all these judges and senators in his pocket um, showing that there really is no line between what they're calling crime and the government. But to make it worse, you can logically break down that we were told growing up in this country, oh, the mob, they're, they're constantly trying to break these damn mobs and you just, we can't pin them down and they get away with things all the time. But in fact, what happens is they go to Las Vegas and they make a group of mobsters openly, you know, doing all these things. And before long, the state governments are gaming commissions and all these other things demonstrating that in this country it was no different. But I think I saw something a few years ago where people uh, running restaurants and other things were getting tired of being taxed by what they called the mafia and started standing up against it. Do you know anything about this? There was like a group that was formed to push back against the taxing of uh, of these places. It happens. And then at the end of the day, the state, of course, doesn't offer you any support or assistance. So you're back to square one. It's just it's it's a joke. It really is. A, it's a joke. In this country, for the longest time, in many places where there was trash pickup, um, that was always considered to be organized crime running that. But I, I would point out again, um, the idea that somehow the government was trying to stop all this is ludicrous because at the end of the day, the supposed mob in this country went to Vegas and did all the things the mob does in the open, created a city. So it's really no different. But where are you at, Jason? Well, I certainly think that the movies have portrayed one thing and the reality is probably the other. But there's no doubt whatsoever that what we call the mafia or the mob or any of that organized crime, maybe that's a better way of encapsulating better it. Better way to exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Organized crime. That and the government have always been in bed with each other as far back as you go. And it's just like what they do in, say, large corporations where they go back and forth between politics and having high positions in these corporations. They're all in bed with each other. And that's just the way it is. It's apparent, you know, you could see it. It's it's more out in the open in Italy because, for example, you know, you could see, you just read it in the newspapers. Like, oh, wow, the, the, the Social Security office, the, the head of that, he you know, he left a, a hole of, I don't know how many millions of, of euro, but he's been transferred to the National Railway to go ruin that. It's always the same people in these higher up structures that are moved from one state agency to another. It's always the same people. They're always doing the same thing. And, you know, Italy has been under an economic crisis since 2008, and it just seems to be getting worse. And no one does anything about it. Half of it may be because they're hypnotized, and the other half may be, hey, wait a minute, the largest employer in Italy is the Italian state. So why would I overthrow this if it's paying me to, to live poorly, but at least I'm getting a paycheck? Well, correct me if I'm wrong here. So we're pointing out that over there, and actually we just pointed out that even the states, there's no separation between what they're calling um, organized crime and the governments of the place. But you pointed out earlier, you had to go take a blood test. And so if these are families, I mean, could we assume, and I never really thought about this before. I mean, if you were born into a family who was going to be part of this, you would be an RH negative blood type, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. And so... What does that imply to you? Uh, Jason and I have done shows on it, but does that imply that these are very old family names or does it imply something else? To you, what does it mean? To me, it implies that the people have controlled this realm, this plane of existence, have always controlled it and will always try to control it. And they are using now they're you're able to take a blood test to find out what your what 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 blood type you are, and they're using it 
basically to keep it amongst themselves like they always have it's always the same it changes names it's hidden less hidden but it's always the same people with the same ends and means does that make sense yeah is it i I gotta ask this you know i've been to places like japan where they're very interested in preserving pure japanese blood but i mean what's it like in 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 these circles is it unheard of or taboo for uh, one of these bloodlines to marry just some random person from another race or something like that? Uh, that's what happened to my family. I, uh, My mother's side were RH negative. We were part of a very large noble family that was actually in control of the papacy for a while. And one of my ancestors decided, hey, you know what, enough of this. I want to marry the person I want to marry. I'm in love with this person. And they said, okay, well, you're out. And, um, you know, we're going to take your last name away from you too. And we're going to give you a commoner last name. So have fun with that. So yes, yes. Wow. So I mean, that's basically like entitlement. Jason and I have talked a lot about entitlement and how it basically comes down to being born with the right name. Uh, I guess we could stipulate the right bloodline, but basically what we're talking about when your name in Italy is taken, your entitlement has been removed. Removed. But now, you know, moving forward a couple hundred years, you could see through the through the blood test. Okay. They're, they're looking back out for people. I'm convinced of this. And once again, you know, 200 years ago, they, they took your name away and gave you a commoner name. And if they were nice, they didn't give you the most common. They gave you the second most common, which is what happened to my mother's family, but they give you a commoner name and they throw you out, but you still have that dominant gene. It's still there. It's still just, that doesn't go away because they take your last name away or your surname. It doesn't go away. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there who just make these overarching claims, but to me, it would be interesting to to actually see some factual breakdowns of of ruling governments, classes of people all over the world. What percentage of them are RH negative? Because we already know that on whole, RH negative would be the small side of the scale. And I'm wondering, do RH positive people ever make it to the highest climbs of these things? I mean, what do you think? I don't know if they make it to the the tippy top, but they'll, they'll, they could probably get very far. I think you know, the one difference between, and this is a big difference is why I'm here in this country now is because if you work really hard here and you don't know anybody and you really want to do this, you could do it. I mean, you're not going to, you, you could get to a certain level here without knowing any of this and just being good at commerce. In Italy, if you want to reach the you want to make a lot of money or reach the highest levels, you cannot do it. And I thought it was at the beginning because of nepotism, who you knew and who you were born into. But it really comes down to, I think, a little bit more than that, meaning what families you come from, not just, you know, if you know somebody that's pretty, that's powerful and you're friendly, you'll, you'll get a nice cushy position in the government. But you're never going to be at the top of this structure. You're never going to be unless they want you to be and unless you have this, this certain characteristics that they want from you, which is the RH negative, which is a certain height. They want you to be tall. I remember that. There are all certain things that do go together. So here, here's an interesting tie-in, um, and I'll use where I'm living to do it as we maybe move towards, most people think of Italy, they think it's this ancient place, but actually the modern founding of Italy is not, as a country, is not that long ago, and there's going to be Masonic ties. But here's an interesting thing, in the state I'm in, Rhode Island, there's a place called Westerly where they found this just incredible granite, some of the best granite in the world. And so they were going to start making monuments, and there ended up being two or three big granite quarries because the granite in the state of Rhode Island was so what they called superior. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Gettysburg uh, memorials, and that's a whole other show we could do, um, many of those Gettysburg memorials are made with the Rhode Island granite from Westerly. Um, Some of the richest New York City 
mausoleums by the richest people in the world were made of this granite. The reason I'm bringing it up is because when they started these granite quarries, they needed different classes of workers. They needed people who could cut the stone. They needed people who could haul the stone. And they needed people who could carve the stone. At the apex of that hierarchy of workers was Italians that were imported because they were the best stone carvers, stone masons in the world. And and there's really no arguing it. You can go all over the state of Rhode Island and in cemeteries particularly, and you see angels carved out of stones where they even have eyelashes. It's almost hard to believe a human being could create some of these things. And below in the next hierarchy, there was, I think it was Irish that were cutting the stone and hauling it. But my point is, is that in the whole entirety of the world, Rhode Island had some of the best granite. They had to go to Italy to get those stonemasons to have these hundreds and hundreds of year old stonemasons who could carve. But that kind of brings us around to um, the secret societies that bled out of these very old master masons. Can you tell us something about the founding of modern Italy? I sure can. But before that, in touching on the stone carving and the stonemasons, there is a sculpture in Naples called the Veiled Christ. You can go look it up. It's um, um, a statue of Christ lying down with a veil on top of him. And, you know, you said that these angels have eyelashes. Uh, modern science cannot tell you how this sculpture was made because it's basically Jesus Christ with a veil over him. And they're saying, how do they carve the body and put the veil on top? Okay. It's alchemical. They're doing something that we don't know about because you can't repeat it. It's like the Stradivarius violin. There's something more to it. So I, I implore your listeners to go look up the Veiled Christ in Naples. I don't really recall what, what chapel it's in right now, but just look up the Veiled Christ in Napoli and you'll find it. And you'll see it. It's totally amazing. And nobody still knows how, how it's made today. I can tell you, actually, that the last of the stonemason families are dying out here. Now all these buildings with this ornate carved granite and statues that need mending and all these things, there are... They're, they're claiming there are not enough stonemasons to do it, but I'm, I'm with you. Some of these things that you'll find in just a cemetery around here, when you look at it, it is nearly impossible to imagine that a human being carved that, but let's pull it in. Um, the modern founding of Italy, and most people, when they think of Italy, they're thinking, oh, we're going to talk BC here. We're not going to talk BC at all, are we? No, we're not. We're going to talk about 1861, and we're going to talk about a, uh, well, I mean, we always called Italy a geographic expression. It really is not a country. There were many local people, local governments along the peninsula. And one of the main ones, the biggest one, actually, it was the power of the continent, was the kingdom of the two Sicilies. It's where Naples, Naples was its epicenter. Naples was part of the grand tour. Goth used to say, see Naples and die. I mean, it's absolutely something else down there. And um, this was a place, Naples, that had some of the oldest um, institutions in the world and some of the first, you know, the first um, faculty of psychiatry. They had the, one of the largest, or if not the largest, astron um, faculty of astronomy. There were all of, it was a place that attracted people from all over the world. And Turin, and the, the, where the Savoys come from, was like was a backwater, was an indebted backwater. And when people, you know, you talk about the unification of Italy, it's, you know, that you read the textbook and it'll say, oh, Giuseppe Garibaldi with Mazzini, Mazzoni, Cavour, they were the heroes of, Garibaldi was the hero of two worlds. And these people were struggling to become united and, and, and independent from their local, their local rulers. And, and, and it was this wonderful thing called the Risorgimento. Everybody came together and 
that's what that's what you learn in the history books. And that was in 1861. And that's not what happened, because if you ask anybody who has oral history passed down from generation to generation, you see, we don't we don't warehouse our elderly. Maybe now in the industrial cities of the north, we'll put them into a home. But, you know, it's historically they've been taken care of by children, grandchildren, uh, extended families. You grew up with your aunts, your uncles. Everybody helps raise the child and then they all take care of the parents. And with this, I was able to have a window looking back to at least 1850, 1855. And I remember that I was studying in a high school in New Jersey. I was taking an Italian class and. And I came back home and I said to my nonna, my grandmother, I said, oh, I'm learning about the, the unification of Italy. And she got all looked at me and she looked at me strange. And I said, yeah, Garibaldi, they're telling me he's this big hero because he was in South America and he was he was kicking butt down there. And he went to Italy and unified Italy. And she looked at me and she said, that man was a horse thief and a prison leftover. He was a prison reject and a horse thief. And what we have where we come from is organized crime and an invading state. And this is what planted the seed in my brain that way. But I, would, I saw this in a, an actual hard covered textbook in my public high school in on the other side of the world. How could this be wrong? And that, that planted the seed. And then I sat there and listened to her for the last last two years of her life, you know, explaining to me all of these things that had happened to her family and and it just was incongruent with what the line the, the line is. So and actually now that that I'm looking at the name Garibaldi, I'm beginning to wonder like when we when we go diving in San Diego, there's this bright golden orange fish named Garibaldi. There must be some connection there. But to get back on track, so you know these guys are th- horse thieves. Which back in the day, calling someone a horse thief that was, was the like worst the high- thing. Yeah, because, you know, you can steal a car today, you'll get in trouble. But back in the day, we're told you stole a horse, that could be your, you know, your life. You might lose your life for stealing horses. But were were these guys secret society founding members of the modern Italy? All of them were upper level Freemasons, all of them, every single one of them. And if you go down to Naples, it's just, you know, all of the Naples was it still is, but it was this cultural capital for a very long time. And when the invading armies came down with their mercenaries, it wasn't like the Savoy family was actually down there fighting themselves. Now, the Bank of England, the city of London was financing Hessians and, and Prussians to come down and, and defeat the army of the two Sicilies. And as soon as they came down there, they closed the schools for 20 years. They marched all the dissidents up to Finistrelle outside of Torino, and they would dissolve people in vats of lye and acid. And they closed the schools for 20 years years. And they renamed all of the, the, the squares and most of the streets after these invaders. So wait a minute here, though. So they're, they're closing down the school. What language are the so-called invaders speaking? They're speaking, well, the, in the invading army, uh, they're speaking a French patois. They don't, like, if you even listen to the rule, uh, what's his name, uh, Victor Philibert, the, the grandson, the great-grandson, like the Savoy dynasty is still existing, and they can barely speak Italian. Emanuele Filiberto, Emmanuel Philibert, they can barely speak Italian correctly. They speak uh, Savoyese, they speak um, a French patois, they, they don't speak Italian. But the invading armies were all mercenaries, so they were speaking German and they were speaking other languages, but 
They weren't speaking Italian and they can't speak Italian to this day. And Italian isn't a real language. Italian is Fiorentine, but it isn't really Fiorentine because if you go to Florence, they have a different accent and they use different words. The grammar structure is the same. It was invented by Dante Alighieri. We speak with my wife and I all the time. We say, well, our grandparents could have communicated. They're communicated much. They were able to express themselves completely in Venetian and Neapolitan with one another better than we can talk to each other in standard Italian now. And that was taken away from us. You know, don't speak your local language. You're ignorant. Speak this national language now. So this is the founding of the Savoy dynasty. And you're saying that they closed the schools for 20 years. So what's that about? Are they scrubbing the languages? Is that what's going on? Well, it's not the founding of the Savoy dynasty. It's the expansion of the Savoy dynasty. The Savoy dynasty controlled, it was called the kingdom of Sardinia. And they controlled Sardinia, Corsica. And like if you look at Sardinia and Corsica and go up north, Liguria, where Genova is now, and um, up into where Turin is, and, and, and Nice. And then if you go even further into, still, it's called, it's a region of France now, it's called Savoy. And they controlled that. That was their dynastic backwater. And when they, I, I believe they had, they had some very heavy debts and they concocted a plan with these Masonic groups and with the city of London to come and take us. Naples was, look up the gold of Naples. What was happened is Naples was destroyed. All of its gold, all of its industry, all of its, its ships, its it was all transferred to Turin. It was all it was all robbed and transferred up to Turin, and the schools were closed, so you can forget your cultural identity. And it was it, don't speak Neapolitan. If you speak Neapolitan, you're ignorant. And speak this language instead. Well, what is this language? Is we going to speak Italian? But what's Italian? Italian was used in like uh, it was used in documents for courts and like official letters, so that you know anybody on this peninsula could have communicated. Like the government of Venice could have communicated with the government of you know the most serene Republic of Venice could communicate with the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. That's the only reason they're using Italian. Nobody was speaking it; they were writing it. Okay, so they closed the schools, and the dissidents were called briganti. I don't know what the translation in England could, English could be. Maybe, maybe more like a brigand a brigand yes and they were and they would defend their villages and there are still you know stories of villages that held on against the invading armies up until like the 1880s for a very long time and then who was a dissident was you know they would kill they, they were they were they would kill the women and children which was why they were so brutal. They would say, okay, you could be a dissident. We're going to kill your entire family and we're going to, we're going to dissolve your, your wives and, and vats of acid. And who doesn't, you know, doesn't comply with the party line here is going to be marched up to the North and be put into a lager in outside of, in, in the, in the foothills outside of Turin. I mean, it was, it was bad. It really was. And this is the history handed down to the people in the South. And if you go to Italy today if you go, for example, to the Northeast and you go outside of Venice and you're never going to see an Italian flag fly. Everybody's got the line of St. Mark flying out their window. They voted four years ago, 90 percent of these people to leave Italy, to be independent. To, they didn't want to deal with the, and they never wanted to deal with the Italian state. And if you go down to the south where I come from, you'll see a white flag with the bourbon crest everywhere. And it's becoming more and more popular as people like wake up to this and they're, they're sequestering the flags at the soccer games now. And they're, I think they're going to make it illegal for you to actually fly it. But, but um, wait a minute. Is this because the people are so sick of corruption? Is that what's driving this? That's exactly what's driving it. As I said to you, you know, before the show started, um, I was reading a, an article the other day that Prosecco is now outselling champagne and that's produced in the province of Treviso in, in the Veneto. So that's a, that's a big commerce area. People up there are very industrious 
And they're sick of this corruption. They're sick of this tax police, this oppressive taxation. I mean, in Italy, if you're an Italian, you need to save all of your receipts because I don't know how many times like you walk out of a store and the tax police, the tax police, like not 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 regular police, military police with machine guns and helicopters and Lamborghinis and cigarette boats. They're like the, like the Marines and the Coast Guard and the Navy and the other military branch. It's as if the IRS had a military branch enforcing its, its laws. And one of the laws in Italy, yeah, one of the laws in Italy is you as a citizen, you have to keep the receipt when you come out of a store if they can make a spot check and see if you were charged for the glass of water you bought. That tells you everything, doesn't it? Doesn't so, it? so, so, but so wait, wait a minute here. Let's back up a minute. Um, I want to know more about the tax police. Um, the, the Guardia did, did, di Finanza, they're called. Do they have an insignia or like a flag or something? They have, I believe it's like a flame. Yeah, it's a flame. Their insignia is, a, is the fire. Go look up Guardia di Finanza. And they are the fraud squad. They're the tax police. And, and that came to my mind because there's. <clears throat> My mother-in-law sent me a story from last year where there was a, a, um, a shopkeeper who has, you know, um, a salumeria, it's called like a deli, right? And he gave his, he made his son a sandwich and the tax police just happened to be there undercover and they find him. And he said, I just made a sandwich for my son. They said, no, 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 you have to put that into the register. Okay. Even people are helping. People don't want to harvest their grapes anymore because, God forbid, they have a helicopter and you're harvesting. And even if it's all volunteers from the from from your village who are out harvesting the grapes, they want you to write that down and what the value is because they, they you got to give Caesar what is due to Caesar. Check this out. The Guardia di Finanza is an Italian law enforcement agency under the authority of the Minister of Economy and Finance. It is a militarized police force forming a part of the Ministry of Economy and Finance, not the Ministry of Defense. Guardia di Finanza is essentially responsible for dealing with financial crime and smuggling. Yeah, sure it does. It has also yeah, sure. evolved into Italy's primary agency for suppressing the illegal drug trade. Sure. It maintains over 600 boats and ships and more than 100 aircraft to serve in its mission of patrolling Italy's territorial waters. Wow. So, but check this out, Jason. I just looked up their little coat of arms. It's like a griffin uh, with his, I don't know, I guess the right arm on a strong box. But they've got 9-11. There's five ribbons. There's always five castles on all the crowns. Um, the Latin, I assume it's Latin, says neck, recisa, recedit. Um, I'm not, I'd have to do the translation, but check this out in the ribbons. One of them, the top ribbon below the bottom has the Roman numeral for six. Then on the other side is it is two. And then on the other side is nine. So it's nine 11 backwards and forwards. Also employing the Marty McFly inverted nine idea here. And these are the most loathed and feared, uh, group in all of Italy by its citizens. I mean, they patrol with machine guns and everybody has a story about them kicking the door down and let me see your receipts from 10 years ago and you didn't pay this and people live in fear of these people. I mean, it's 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 absolutely absurd. If you live in the top tax bracket and you make it over $70,000 a year there, it's like 50% in taxes, just income taxes. And then you got to pay that tax 28% on everything and TV tax and this tax and that tax and, and now they're now they're now that for garbage collection, it used to be how many people lived in the residence. Not anymore. It's about the square footage. So if you're an old pensioner who's living in your family house and, you're, and there's nobody else living there, you're paying as if, you know, you're 10 people living in that house. They, they, they get you coming and going. You want to talk about a shakedown? <laughs> it, it, 
it's totally freaking inside baseball. Their headquarters is in Rome. All of it. Of course, what Jason just said. Yeah, 1774, October 5, they set up. But check this out. Nes Recisa receded. This is what it means. Does not retreat, even if broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more or less exactly what it means, exactly. Unreal, man. So, I I mean, is this just basically the catch-all? If they want to get someone, they're just going to use the excuse you don't have. I mean, what do they actually do? Are they going to jail you? Are they going to fine you? What do they usually do? Come on, you know exactly what this is. They use this when they need to go after somebody. They've got a ready-made excuse that if you're rocking the boat and you're going after the real power structure, they're going to be like, well, sick these guys on them. They'll, They'll shake them down. And they never go away. Oh, you can. You know, what happened to me is they stuck them on me and I had like a lawyer on retainer that I paid. You win at the end because you save all of your seats and everything, but they just make your life a living, a living hell just to say it, to say it vulgarly. And um, it's, it's, it's beyond the pale. It really is beyond the pale at this point, what's going on in that country. And another thing that we have there are, I mean, there are a lot, in, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of honorable, good people who live in Italy who are, who are very industrious. And it, what pains my heart to see is at the end of the year, there's always a tally of how many people, they call them suicidi di stato, meaning state suicides. Because what happens is, is, a lot of these honorable business people, at the end of the day, they can't make – okay, I make payroll or I pay these exorbitant taxes. So they make they, – they take out a loan, they make the payroll, and they jump off a bridge. Unreal. They, they hang themselves. Yeah, there's also actually some demonstrations. A lot of – when I was there last, there were a lot of demonstrations of the family members of these people who were demonstrating in the plazas and the, the square saying, this is, this, is, this, is, this is unacceptable. You know, people so- can't – Go ahead, Crow. Uh, I'm sorry, but I got to ask, man. So, I mean, I don't think most people have have a view of Italy like we're kind of describing here. But how, how much free speech? I mean, has free speech always been a problem there? If you're going to do stuff like that, I imagine you need to shut people up from complaining I, about it. You know, you know, it's different because, it, you know, it's different because of this. Like, for example, you have strep throat. And you need an antibiotic or you need a, a, an allopathic remedy that you think you need. You don't you could go to a pharmacy and see the pharmacist. You don't need a doctor's prescription. So you could go there and get an antibiotic without a prescription from a doctor. Um, you can watch Italian TV and there's bare chested women who are selling you refrigerators. You know, the, the sex thing is out in the open. That's fine. Um, as far as free speech is concerned, I mean, you can you could say what you want, but there are going to be repercussions for it afterwards. They have I mean, these dogs with teeth that are the Guarda de Finance. I mean, your people like literally live in fear of these people. They're going to come. All my doors be knocked down any day now. You know, I didn't pay my TV tax. Here they come. Unreal, man. And and the television is still coming over the air. And the, the fact air. that you bought one is what gets you licensed into the system. And these dudes will literally kick down your door. But I mean, I, I had an idea a while ago I wanted to bring up when we were talking about invaders shutting down the schools and scrubbing language and stuff like this. So during all this time, was the speaking of Latin wholly confined to the church and and Rome? Or where did, where did the language of Latin fit into this overall picture? Because what we're told is there was this place called ancient Rome and those dudes spoke Latin, right? Right. Um, and somehow magic presto changeo, uh, the doors of the Senate of ancient Rome became the Basilica <laughs> cathedral for the new, you know, Roman, Holy Roman empire, which was neither Holy nor Roman. But my point is where does the speaking of, uh, of Latin fall into this picture? 
Okay, um, it, it depends on where you are geographically in the country, because if you go to Sardinia, Sardinia, is, they speak, it's very, very close to Latin. The, the, I can't understand a word of it. They're, they're, they're local language in Sardinia. And that was um, the province of Nuoro. No one has ever been able to tame that in the Gentu Mountains in the, in, in the center of, of the island. And they speak a language that's very close to Latin, lex, uh, grammatically and lexically. In Naples, our grammatical structure is very close to Latin. It's like mother mine, um, unhappy, you, me, see, like it, the, 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 it's completely different than Fiorentine. So it's depends on where you are and what language, you know, for example, if you, if you, if you go to the Northern part, like, like Lombardy, like Milan, Milan has a lot of Austrian influence in the language and French because they were Gaelic to begin with a uh, Venetian. My wife's language has a lot of Spanish in it, actually. And Neapolitan is a mixture of ancient Greek and Latin and, and, you know, all of the, all of the names and all the different languages for the, all of the important things, you know, to be, uh, the fruits, the vegetables, they're all different. They're all different. And even um, to give you an example of how different everything is there, the imperative let's go in Italian, Italian is andiamo. If you went to Palermo, they'd say amoni. If you went to Naples, they'd say Yamunjin. If you went to Bari, they would say Shimani. If you went to Perugia, they would say Gimo. If you went to Rome, they would say Namo. If you were in Milan, they would say Andem. In Turin, they say Duma, Duma. And my wife says Demo. And that's just an example of a few of them, but it all means let's go. And they're all mutually intelligible from one from another. So, but wait a minute. I mean, does the average person living in Italy, they, they can understand that regardless no, of where no, they are? No, they can't. They can't. They can't they, understand them. It's I, I understand it because... I, I worked in linguistics for a while, and it's a passion of mine. And my wife, my, my you know, I have family who's from Lombardy, and I and I was you know exposed to their 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 language and the Venetian language, and I, I but I can't myself, even though Sicilian is an offshoot of Neapolitan, I really can't understand when they speak, and Sardinians in, like impossible to understand, and a lot of them are. Like a lot of the, I would say the, the main difference between Latin and the Italic languages that have have sprung up from it is you know the the nouns have have they've they've kept the masculine and the feminine but they have dropped the neuter so Latin you know, had masculine like German does you have masculine feminine and neuter now but Italian is just masculine and feminine there's no neuter left and even in Neapolitan there's no neuter left in it. Let me jump in here. We're getting close to the top of the hour, so we're going to need some succinct responses before we take a break and come back for hour two and talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. But if you looked at Italy as a country, or for that matter, I'll include two things here. What language are the laws of Italy written in? Do you know? And also, if we went to the Vatican, do you know what, what language are those written in Latin or are they written in what we would call Italian? No, the languages in Italy, the laws in Italy are written in Italian, Fiorentine, and the laws of the city, the city state of Vatican City are written in Latin. You could go to St. Peter's Square and put your card in the ATM machine, and the first language on the ATM machine screen is in Latin. So much for a dead language. 
Yeah, Jason, Jason's reading my mind. Growing up in this country, we were told that Latin was a dead language, although we knew that our parents had taken Latin in school, usually Latin and French. Uh, if you're on the West Coast of the United States, more often than not, it might be Spanish. Some places in the East, it might be Portuguese. But basically, the main things back through the time of my parents and grandparents was Latin and French were, were taught in school. When we got to school, we were told it was a dead language. And I always had a problem with this. Because every damn name, every scientific name or name, proper name of a plant, uh, it's all in Latin. But anyhow, guys, we're about to the top of the hour. Finally, we're going to break free from the censorship woes of hour one and be able to go into hour two. Jason, quickly, do you have anything you want to add before we uh, prep up for hour two? You know, we always do say this, that Hour 2 is going to have stuff that just couldn't go into Hour 1. But this is one of those times where you really want to hear about the cult of Set or the cult of Saturn. Hour 2, baby. Yeah, there it is, man. Anyhow, thank you, Giancarlo. Thank you, Jason. I hope to see you all over at Crow777Radio.com, where the full show is posted for members. And it works that way because we got to have a free speech place and YouTube or social media in general is not that place. It doesn't even matter if you're polite as you can be. Um, you bring up the wrong subject and you get yanked. I just had episode 44 censored and that was posted over two years ago. Jason just got a strike, his first strike on Secrets of Saturn on YouTube uh, for a very old clip he had up. Anyhow, catch you all over at Crow 7 Radio. This is the end of hour one for episode 141. Come on over and talk the cult of set with us. Anyhow, there it is. Cheers. <laughs> 